0: Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I'm glad you're here. It's time for episode four, moving right along and through my list of 48 animated Disney movies to watch this summer. For some reason, I think I was unconsciously attempting to get all of my least favorites out of the way at the beginning. I should have really spread them out more as to not overwhelm myself and you, dear listeners, with a lot of negativity, though. I do apologize for that. It's time to explore a few of my favorites for a few episodes. No worries, Frozen is still out there to torture me, but I thought we would end this lovely week with one of my favorites, and what I believe to be one of the most underrated animated Disney movies out there. A quick reminder that if you want to watch along with me, there's a printable copy of the challenge list available on my newsletter or in the show notes, and if there is any particular title that you think I should discuss in a future episode, be sure to let me know. So today we are discussing Meet the Robinsons. I don't remember having to participate in science fairs as a kid. There was an invention convention or two, but selecting, monitoring, and evaluating an experiment was never really in our curriculum, at least not in the form of science fairs. Seems kind of odd though as I think back on it because it's all pretty fundamental when it comes to understanding of the scientific method. <laughs> like we should have been doing that more often. The one experiment I do remember from the invention convention was a self-garden watering garden thing it was a pulley system that had a watering can on it so that my mother didn't have to walk around holding a watering can to water the garden I did not win if you can believe that I'm not complaining I would have been horrible at science fairs for a number of reasons I was a pretty lazy student in elementary school that changed as I got older I changed a lot I became a little too obsessed with doing well but ongoing projects was never my jam in any grade give me something to do let me get it done and then let's just move on with our lives i think i still kind of have that problem now at work much to the chagrin of the people i work with i just don't like to sit around with one thing for too long i lose interest and motivation and sometimes a will to live and my mind is racing at 100 miles a minute so it's it's easier for me to do and move on than to just sit with something for too long i was also incredibly introverted and shy No, really. I was. I'm not lying. I would make myself physically sick even thinking about having to give a presentation or report in front of the class. It took years to get over, and it's still not my favorite thing to do in the world. But I have very slowly learned to tame the adrenaline that shoots out of my hands. I mean, my hands can shake violently and makes my heart race when everyone is staring at me. If you read my latest newsletter, it kind of goes back, I guess, to feelings of being a fraud. Like, what authority do I have to talk about anything? But life experience is helping. I mean, shoot, I'm hosting a podcast and writing a newsletter specifically about being an amateur and my amateur opinions on random and consequential things. I also lack an understanding of most basic scientific things. I usually default to, that just has to be magic, because I find the way our world and nature and the universe works to be miraculous and confusing and beautiful. I'll leave it to my brother, who is a physics teacher, to explain things to me on a need-to-know basis, and I only ask when I think he'll give me a short and concise answer, which isn't often, so I don't usually ask, and then he tells me information that he just volunteers himself, so I'm kind of in a lose-lose situation. My brain just isn't wired for science or math or coordination, to be honest. But like most things I don't understand, I have an intense fascination for watching others do what I cannot. The TV show Mythbusters, that was the best show. I loved seeing them dive into science and explain things and find reasons for the way the world works and why something would work the way it does and why it wouldn't work the way pop culture tells us it should. And I like to believe that the characters in Meet the Robinsons would have been awesome interns working with Adam and Jamie. But first, an overly simplified, adoring summary of Disney's animated feature, Meet the Robinsons. A young, creative science prodigy and orphan attempts to create an invention that will allow him to see memories of his mother. As often happens for this poor lad, things go awry, and he finds himself face-to-face with a mysterious kid with amazing hair from the future who is dead set on him fixing this particular device. This meeting leads to time travel, meeting with a kooky group of characters, and an understanding that the future itself can be beautiful if we can keep moving forward. I love this one, you guys. I watched it once as a part of the Summer Movie Challenge with no intention of recording a podcast about it, but then I fell in love all over again and immediately put it on again so that I could prep for an episode. I just wanted to share the love with you. So today, there are fewer questions and moments of confusion. There are no strange princes who are wandering through the woods, no aggressively conceited teenagers, and no over-sexualizing of tiny female characters. There are, however, talking animals, but kind of in a wonderful way. So let's just dive in. Number one, Mildred is such a supportive, compassionate caregiver. She helps Louis put his best foot forward, but never asks him to change in order to be more appealing to prospective adoptive parents. She gives him tips, she wants him to look his best, but she never asks him to change or alter his personality in any way. She loves him for exactly who he is. Number two. In my opinion, Louis dodged the bullet with the parents he interviewed with that ended in a peanut butter fiasco. They did not seem to recognize or appreciate his brilliance, and they also should have spoken up way sooner about the allergy. Poor kid didn't know. They act as if he was intentionally trying to kill this man, and thoughtful humans would have come back, whether he was a good fit or not, to let him know that everything was okay. I mean, this kid seemed genuinely upset about the whole situation. Number three, the soundtrack is kind of wonderful. Offbeat music choices And Rufus Wainwright. You cannot go wrong with Rufus Wainwright. Number four, I feel sorry for the goob. He obviously needed a good night's sleep. He had some serious bags under his eyes. It felt like maybe Mildred could have intervened a little bit on his behalf, maybe to make sure Lewis was in bed at a good hour or limited the science being done in the bedroom or just taken the science completely out of the bedroom and given him another place to work, so it wasn't right where Goob was sleeping, you know. But if Lewis was up all night, why wasn't he also dead on his feet? Number five, and also a kudos to the super supportive science teacher. He never gets in Lewis's way. It provides protective headwear for the other students instead of chastising or making Lewis feel bad when a science experiment doesn't work. And it only, and he only makes Lewis feel a little bad one time when an experiment doesn't go as planned. I mean, he did set off the sprinklers in the gymnasium and the coach was running around with fire ants on him. There was some legitimacy to being a little perturbed, but he was perturbed at the situation and not at Lewis. Number six, is young Lizzie channeling Wednesday Adams. I think so. I hope so. Number seven. Wilbur Robinson has excellent sneaking stealthy skills and is fantastic at question dodging. I think part of his inspiration had to be James T. Kirk and his ability to roll out of the way of whatever chaos he finds himself in. It's also a little odd that he has a fruit hat readily on hand to hide Lewis's hair when they're in the future. I love that. It just comes out of nowhere and he plops it on his head. Number eight. Number eight. Bowler Hat Guy reminds me of Mr. Barnaby in the 1961 Disney fantasy feature Babes in Toyland. (laughs) Full stop, that is the movie I have watched the most number of times. I mean, it is at the top of the list of the movie that I've watched the most. I'm not really sure why, except for a deep love of Annette Funicello and the songs. But thank goodness for Disney Plus for making it readily available to me whenever I'm in the mood. Number nine, the coach is surprisingly engaged at the science fair. I kind of dig it. He has a rather majestic scream too when those fire ants get on him. Number 10, the future looks pretty fantastic. Homes filled with delightfully insane individuals, houses that have those cool bank-esque sucky tube traveling things, legit Disney World people movers, flying by bubble. I mean, this is better than the Jetsons' future on any good day even if it happened impossibly quickly which i didn't fully understand i mean lewis is still a youngish man in the future so there must have been an immediate renaissance and influx of exceptionally intelligent people and capable people with lots of money to get from when lewis was a child to what that future looked like number 11 as much as i love the robinson family they are certifiably crazy and it's a wonder how they haven't all been institutionalized But boy, is there love there. Wilbur's reaction to Lewis's rundown of his family tree is filled with such acceptance and compassion for the weird that you immediately want to be adopted. My favorite part in that whole scene is when Lewis mentions, um, oh, I forget his name, but the one gentleman who is married to the hand puppet, and he makes that gesture at Wilbur, and instead of Wilbur acknowledging that it's weird that it's a hand puppet, he just says, yeah, she's cranky. I just really liked that, that it... It was just a part of his life, and he accepted them for all their quirky and weird Id- idiosyncrasies. Number 12, dancing, singing frogs. Now, I don't love talking animals. I think I made that pretty apparent in some of the earlier episodes. But for some reason, talking frogs, especially singing frogs, just tickle my funny bone. There's that Looney Tunes episode, um, One Froggy Evening with Hello, my lover. I'm not going to sing the thing for you again. I won't do that to you but that is such a good episode and that made me think of this and it also made me think of Back to the Future the songs that they were singing and at one point there's three frogs who um, are putting the hat into the back of a trunk and it reminded me of when Marty McFly is stuck in the trunk of the back of the car and the and the band has to get him out so really liked that part even though it was a talking animal. Number 13. Why wasn't Goob alarmed to find a sinister-looking man in his bedroom after the big game? And the guy knew his name. I mean, I know that they're the same person, spoiler alert, but wouldn't he be a little suspicious about a grown man sitting in his bedroom? And wouldn't he have like yelled out for Mildred or any kind of authority or screamed? He just kind of takes it in stride like, yeah, there's this dude here, oh well, I lost the big game. Number 13. The dubbed meatball dinner scene was so weird, and I loved it. It was a brilliant kind of side thing that they did that reminded me kind of a lot of Quentin Tarantino for some reason, you know, without all the extreme violence, gore, and profanity. I I don't think I would have ever connected Quentin Tarantino to Disney until I saw that scene again. Number 15, best line in the movie. I have a big head and little arms. I'm just not sure how well this plan was thought through. Oh, genius use of a T-Rex. I loved it so much. We actually use that quite a bit in jest with our mother. She does not have a big head. She has a perfectly formed right-sized head, but she does have shorter arms, which she will complain about. That is not me criticizing, Um, but we often, when her shirts are too long for her, or she can't reach something. We pull out that line because we think it's hilarious. Such a good story. I could keep going with this list, but at this point in the movie, it all just kind of blends in with the many life lessons available to grab hold of. But before we dive into those, I do have to wonder about the consequences of Lewis meeting his future self and the space-time continuum. Because I've learned that's a thing because I've watched quite a few time travel movies. But then thinking about that gets back into the whole science conversation, and I really just don't care because I am wholly and completely entertained let it be what it's going to be. It does not have to make sense. I'm sure my brother would have an opinion, but I'm not going to ask him because he would also ruin it for me. Life lessons. As much as we want it to be, life isn't easy and doesn't always go our way. There will be obstacles of our own creation and hurdles that are completely out of our control that try to keep us from accomplishing our goals or living out our dreams. There will be times when we just want to throw in the towel, but as Lewis says, we have to keep moving forward. The only way out is through. It's a choice. Every single day. Resilience can be a choice. Sometimes we snap back quickly from tough seasons. Other times we have to sit in them for a while or ask others for help. But seasons change and we just have to be willing to do the work to find our way through to the other side. And then I loved this quote. From failure you learn, from success not so much celebrate your failures. You were brave enough to try. You were brave enough to put yourself out there to try something new, something hard that deserves to be acknowledged. You can learn from every failure, the right way to do something, the wrong way to do something, what worked, what didn't, what people want, what people really don't want, where you need to improve, where you have your footing. It's a triumph to try. Whether it works out or not, you'll be able to look back and know that you tried. And finally, there are really good people out in the world, people that care and are ready to lift you up. If you're lucky, you'll find people whose weird matches your own weird. Sometimes family is made and sometimes it's found. Sometimes it's forever and sometimes it's temporary. Keep your heart open and be on the lookout for those people. I will never not cry at the end of this movie. I mean, it happens every time. I watched it twice back to back. So you think I would have been desensitized the second time around? But nope, I still cried. It should be noted that I cry at just about everything. Hallmark commercials, home improvement shows, almost all sports flicks. If there is an underdog, Emily is crying. But when Lewis finally finds his forever home, his people, when he feels seen and understood, just pulls up my heartstrings. I kind of want to cry now just thinking about it. I just really, I find that very, very touching. Every kid deserves a home and for someone to care about them. I have such respect for people who open their hearts to kids that are in foster care or who are orphans. I hope to be one of them one day, to love on a kid forever or for as long as they need me to, because given the opportunity, that kid may move mountains, they may build bright futures, or maybe they'll just learn to live fully as themselves. Either way, they'll have someone in their corner. And I think kids who are in that circumstance need to see characters like this, that there is a bright future for you, even if right now, right at this moment, things seem unsteady or um, complicated that there are ways that you can move forward keep moving forward if you haven't already you should check out a day with wilbur robinson by william joyce the inspiration for the movie it's a picture book it's pretty cool this isn't like other disney movies it doesn't follow the normal tropes or plot devices and i think its uniqueness is what makes it stand out it's for the curious and whimsical, for the dreamers and doers, for the kid who is willing to try and the people who are lifting them up during that whole process. It's for those who look, like to look toward the future and ask, I wonder if. Guys, all the feels, the right kind of feels. That's it for Meet the Robinsons, I hope you put it on your list to watch if you haven't already, or give it a rewatch if it's been a while. A quick rundown of what else I've been watching to get through my 48, I threw in an OG classic Sleeping Beauty, it had been a really long time since my last viewing, and I was pleasantly surprised. It's much shorter than I remembered, but the artwork and colors were so beautiful and vibrant, I really like the artwork. Yes, there was another prince wandering around a kingdom, but at least he was there for a reason. I knew why he was there. He was going to meet his father to marry the princess. It made sense to me. It wasn't just like he was being weird out in the war- woods and f- stumbled upon a strange woman and fell in love. Which he kind of did now that I think about it. But it still didn't feel as weird as Snow White. I don't know. I also snuck in 101 Dalmatians after going to see Cruella in the theaters. Guys... I went to a movie theater and it was heaven. It has been so long since I've done that. I did have several moments of just kind of unease at being out in public purely for entertainment purposes. But all of that eventually passed, and I had that nice, familiar, normal feeling of being out doing something fun, watching previews, which I love. I love to see trailers at the movie theater. It was a good time. And we got to check out a really cool new movie theater in downtown Indianapolis. There's this place called The Garage in Bottleworks. They took over the old Coke plant and created kind of a... like the mall food court in a sense, but with some really quirky, weird, interesting food selections. And then off of that is the living room theaters, which was really neat. Very comfy seats. I would definitely recommend it if you're in the indie area. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. I will be back next Tuesday with a new episode. I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. The podcast is now available just about everywhere, wherever you're listening. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review but only if it's nice, please. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM, no I in girl, at GnomeGirlM, and on Facebook at A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I'll see you next time.